0: Right hand. thank you marty if you could turn to revelation 19 uh, we're going to try and finish that up today that's uh, only four verses and i've got about 42 to do so get your bibles open you'll need them uh, remember we've been studying the book of revelation we're coming near the end of this period of time we've been in the period of time called the tribulation the great tribulation which lasts about seven years is the time where god is simultaneously judging evil and calling everyone everywhere to repentance, to redemption and be reconciled to God. So we're now coming near the end of that time frame. Judgment is almost over and so is the opportunity for repentance. It's also winding at the same time. So we have two two real climactic events that end the 7-year tribulation period one the second coming of christ and then the war of armageddon which occurs just before that last week we took a little look at the second coming we'll do more of that in coming times but today we want to focus on the the war of armageddon armageddon really has entered popular consciousness i guess as a metaphor for a world-ending epic sort of battle and confrontation there's at least two misconceptions about armageddon one That it's only one battle and two that it only takes place in one location in fact it's an extended war that takes place over a period of time in multiple locations and it's also a war that involves not just human combatants but also spiritual combatants because satan and his demons are involved in this conflict against god and his saints satan's final attempt to really prevent jesus christ from returning to earth is the point of the war of armageddon and when jesus does return to earth of course he's going to destroy satan's kingdom and establish his own so you understand why satan doesn't want him to come back here's the key idea king jesus has a perfect plan for redeeming his people and repossessing his planet so trust your king trust your king we've been in the middle of judgments and destruction and devastation it's very easy to think the world is literally going to hell in a handbasket it's true but that does not mean jesus christ is not on the throne god has a perfect plan and we are living in part of that perfect plan here's the big picture God created people in order to have an intimate relationship with them. That was the point of creation. God's plan was God and man together forever. But in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve decided to to reject God's love and followed Satan. And Throughout history, it's really been a game of hide and seek. Man has rejected God's love and followed Satan and God has sought out man. God continues to pursue man for a relationship by and large man continues to reject God so if we track this just to give you a little historical perspective Adam rejected God right Adam and Eve said we're gonna follow Satan we don't want you to be king we want to run our own show God in mercy promised Eve that her seed the Messiah would destroy Satan Satan wasn't done he inspired Cain to kill his brother Abel so God started over with Seth Satan corrupted the human gene pool in Genesis 6 and so god started over with noah humans tried to form a one world government of the tower of babel god scattered them around the world and started back with one people group he called abraham from whom would come the father he would be the father of the nation of israel that god would have a relationship with. so instead of trying to win the world at large god said i'm going to start with one man one nation i'm going to have an intimate relationship with the nation of israel and through that nation israel i'm going to try and win the world back and reconcile them to myself through israel of course would come the messiah the messiah is god's ultimate strategy to reconcile holy god and sinful man that is the story of human history in scripture it is the attempt of God on an ongoing basis to reconcile the relationship between God and man and man continues to reject God's overtures man continues to reject God's love and we certainly see that here in the book of Revelation so Israel rejected her Messiah so God started over again and called out the church his body his hands his feet gave us the Holy Spirit to take his message of love and reconciliation to the rest of the world despite all of god's attempts most of the people most of the time reject god's love this pattern of god's initiation and human rejection is going to end here the war of armageddon is the time in history when god's patience runs out and he says i'm done judgment now i'm going to destroy all rebellion against me if you want a good concise look at human history Go to Psalm 2, very short psalm. Psalm 2 gives you a a summary picture of human rebellion against God. And it starts out by saying, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take the stand and their rulers take counsel together against who? Against the Lord and against his anointed Jesus Christ. And these rulers, these human rulers say what? Let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords from us. They don't want to be ruled by God. They want to be large and in charge themselves. Humanity has never wanted to be ruled by God. Actually, humans have been plotting to overthrow God on his throne ever since we got here. That's the story of sin. I want to run my life. And if you don't think you do that, God will give you children and grandchildren and you will see you. (laughs) Amen? Because that's the nature of human nature. That's what we do. Now, God's got a little perspective on human rebellion. Verse 4 of Psalm 2, he says, He who sits in the heavens, he laughs. He scoffs at them. He will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. You know, man on earth will never conquer God in heaven. But we think we're large and in charge. And so from time to time, God in his mercy allows us to see our true size. And he allows something like a class 5 hurricane to blow through town. I don't see anybody standing on the rooftop going, I am God like Shirley McLean in the middle of a class five hurricane. We're all ducking and running for cover because that's when we assume, that's when we get our true position of how strong and enlarged we are. God says, I have purpose. Verse six of Psalm two. God says, the world needs a king and I have the king for planet earth. God Almighty says, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. One thing that we have to understand, this is very difficult for us in America to hear. God really ultimately wired us for monarchy. Democracy is the best of all human forms of government, but self-government is inherently faulty because it's run by what? Fallen people. If your confidence is in the election coming up, God help you okay your confidence better not be in humans no matter how smart how wise how prudent they're still fallen sinful people god knows we need a king and he has one for us his name of jesus christ and in verse 8 of psalm 2 god the father is talking to jesus the son and he says ask for me and i will give you the nations as an inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession You, Jesus, will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like earth and wear. See, Jesus Christ is Lord of the earth. Amen? Amen. By right of creation and by right of inheritance. Here's the reality. No one is independent of God. Everyone is a house guest on his planet. Truthfully, you don't own anything. You manage what you have for a short period of time because we're here for very short decades, and then it goes to somebody else. So God owns it we manage it this is a very profound word picture he says you resist God ultimately you're gonna shatter like a clay pot on concrete I've got a better word picture for you how many of you know Humpty Dumpty Humpty Dumpty sat on a it's a bad place to be Humpty Dumpty had a all the king's horses and all the Democrat and Republican Party members couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again that's the state of the world today right? You think we got broken eggs all over the planet? We do. Humans are not going to be able to put those together. Only King Jesus will. Here's the good news. He's coming back. He's coming back. Now, God tells these rebellious leaders, politicians and kings, he says in verse 10, now you kings show discernment. Take warning, you judges worship the lord with reverence do homage to the son that means respect and honor and obedience lest he become angry and you perish in the way the truth of it is we have been at war with god since the garden of eden that's the nature of human nature without almighty god so today we want to take a look at the god's plan to end that rebellion and it's going to involve warfare god has a perfect plan for everything including warfare The Armageddon campaign is a detailed process by which God is going to end human rebellion against him. The the significance of that is God's plan involves a sequence of events. And I'm gonna walk you through all eight steps, eight events that occur in the battle of Armageddon. By the way, there's some discussion among various scholars about how this sequence should go. For those of you who've read In the Footsteps of the Messiah by Arnold Fruchtenbaum, ariel ministries i'm going to be following his and rob has this on screen for you you've got these handouts <clears throat> i don't know whether you have this particular one so i've asked rob to put it on screen the eight steps that god is going to implement to end human rebellion against him on the campaign of armageddon first one is the assembling of the allies of antichrist now some of this is going to be review. we've already been through this you've been through revelation 16 with me Remember that the sixth bowl judgment, God dries up the river Euphrates. That allows the Antichrist to move his coalition across the Euphrates River into uh, Israel to invade Israel and do battle with God. Two weeks ago, we talked about Armageddon coming from the Hebrew words Har. Megedon. Har, it literally means mountain of Megiddo. We talked a couple weeks ago that Megiddo is, was an ancient strategic city that guards literally the Megiddo Pass. So if you go to Haifa, which is northern Israel, there's a pass that goes into the Valley of Jezreel. And Megiddo was the city that guarded that pass to protect the Valley of Jezreel. The Valley of Jezreel is the largest valley in, uh, in Israel up in the northern part. And it is a very, very, very broad plain. Napoleon said it would be the greatest battleground in the world. However, the campaign of Armageddon, the battle does not take place in the valley the valley is just the staging ground for all of antichrist's armies the battle is for jerusalem that's what satan wants so first of all we have all the allies assembled in jerusalem secondly we see the destruction of babylon we've gone through this as well revelation 16 and 18 described god's judgments on babylon babylon as we talked about is going to be rebuilt on the euphrates river it's going to become the world's preeminent political and economic capital antichrist is in megiddo with his troops babylon is catastrophically destroyed we reviewed that jeremiah predicted this in jeremiah 50 by the way if you really want a good study diagram on the destruction of babylon go to isaiah 13 and 14 and jeremiah 50 and 51 very detailed about the destruction of babylon and god said i'm going to destroy it like sodom and gomorrah it will never ever be rebuilt no one will ever live there That prophecy has not yet occurred. Babylon was conquered by the Medes and Persians in 539, but they didn't destroy it. It was abandoned over a period of centuries. God says it's going to be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, which means it's going to be trashed right down to the dirt level and no one's going to ever live there again. The world will be in shock over that. So we have the assembling of the the allies of Antichrist. He's got his armies formed. God destroys Babylon. Now we come to a very hard part. This is difficult. It's the fall of Jerusalem. I want you to look in Zechariah 12, Zechariah 12 and 14. Here's the principle. God's loving plan for you will involve struggle and conflict. It doesn't say it might. It will. You are either going into a storm, coming out of a storm, or you're in a storm. Those of you that were in church, how many of you are in the church this morning? you didn't go to the first service, make sure you go to the 11 o'clock service. Storms are part of life. I didn't even know what Pastor Rogers was going to talk about, so this is the Holy Spirit putting this together. But our life involves struggle and conflict. Trust his wisdom. Trust his wisdom. So Antichrist gets the word that Babylon's been destroyed, and you think, well, why wouldn't Antichrist take all his armies go back and defend Babylon? Satan's priority is not Babylon. Satan's priority is only one thing right now. Destroy the Jews. Destroy the Jews. And so he's going to move Antichrist's armies to attack Jerusalem. And Zechariah 12 tells us how that's going to happen. Zechariah 12, verses 2 to 3. Behold, I, God, am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. And it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. Everyone who lifts this stone will be severely injured. And, underline this, all the nations of the earth will be gathered against her. So the entire armies of the Antichrist from around the world are going to siege Israel and Jerusalem with an attempt to kill him. Here's what's frightening. That's by divine design. God allows that to happen. Verse Chapter 14, verse 2 of Zechariah. Zechariah 14, 2. God says... I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem in battle, and the city will be captured, houses plundered, women ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. The capture of Jerusalem is by divine design, and yet God is going to empower the Jews with supernatural power to defend their city. If you go to Zechariah 12, verse 4, God says, in that day... I'm going to strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness, but I will watch over the house of Judah. In that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a firepot among pieces of dry wood and a flaming torch among sheaves. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the one who is feeble among that day will be like David. So God is going to allow Antichrist to surround Jerusalem and capture it. And at the same time, God's going to empower the Jews who are defending it with supernatural ability to lay waste against their enemies, but the city's still captured. And you go, mama never told me that it could be that messy, right? I mean, I thought it was the good guys win, the bad guys lose, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We're not over. What did we hear? It ain't over till it's over. It's not over yet. Their faith, the Jewish faith, is being stretched to the max because the city is captured, many Jewish men are killed, many Jewish women are raped, half the city is taken away into slavery, and God allows evil to seemingly triumph over good. And if you want a good exposition of that, read Habakkuk. So we have Jerusalem captured. Step number four, the armies of the Antichrist go to Bozrah. Here's the principle. When God closes a door, he opens a window. I, I said you may not see it. The truth of it is, most of the time we don't see it. You're, you're above average class, you're sharp people, but many, many times we don't see the window. You know why? We're not looking up. We're not looking up, real frankly. So, when God closes the door, he opens the window, but you may not see it, so trust his leading. Trust his leading. You can't always see the end. Matter of fact, you never can. Jerusalem is surrounded. It captured and falled, but what you don't know yet is most of the Jews aren't in Jerusalem. Most of the Jews have already fled south to Bozrah. That's down south here. You're going to see that number, I think, number four. They've already fled south to Bozrah, which is the land of Edom. Now, remember that Satan's primary purpose is the destruction of the Jews. And so he's going to chase the Jews down to Bozrah. And Jesus Christ warned his followers that this was going to happen. Matthew 24, Matthew 24, 15 and 16. Jesus told his followers, when you see this happening and the next generations to follow, flee to the mountains, flee to the mountains. Revelation 12 tells us that the Jews are to flee to the wilderness. So we have two places they're supposed to go. One wilderness, two mountains. Well, where are their mountains and wilderness? Micah 2, 12, Jesus said, I will assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as sheep of Bozrah, as a flock in the midst of pasture. Let me tell you a little bit about Bozrah. Bozrah is located in the region of Mount Seir, which is east of the Jordan River and south. It is a rocky range of mountains in what was ancient Edom, and is modern day southern jordan for those of you have ever been to israel if you look at the dead sea and you look straight east you're looking at jordan that's edom ammon that neck of the woods at that point many many conservative scholars think this area is modern day petra p-e-t-r-a it is a very large basin a sunken basin surrounded by very very hard large mountains and very large cliffs There's only one way in and out of this area. It is a very narrow passageway, about a mile long. You can walk it, and you can get about two horses in and out of there. It's a very narrow passageway. Steep cliffs all along the side, and you open into this vast area, sunken area, surrounded by cliffs. And believe it or not, bozra means sheepfold. Bozra means sheepfold. He's talking about sheep his people and a safe place for them, and he's going to lead them there at that point in time. Now, another fascinating, for those of you that are taking notes, Daniel 11 really gives us a, a prophetic perspective on why this is so significant. Daniel 11:41, 41, for those of you who want to cross-check, Daniel says, he, the Antichrist, will also enter the beautiful land, that's Israel, and many countries will fail... But these will be rescued out of Antichrist's hand. Edom, Moab, Ammon. So understand, Antichrist is ruling the planet at this point in time, but God himself has a little chunk of the planet down there in southern Jordan that remains out of the control of the Antichrist. And that's where God is going to put the remnant of the Jews for safekeeping. Because otherwise they'd be all slaughtered. Understand, get the picture? Say yes. yes. Even if you don't get it, humor me. All right. You're a smart group. I believe you got it. Number five, why does God go to all this trouble? God wants a relationship with the Jews, and the Jews currently have a broken relationship with Almighty God. So the next step is the national regeneration of Israel, which means the reconciliation of Almighty God with His chosen people, Israel. Zechariah 12, verses 10 to 13 are going to cover that. Here's the principle. Sometimes our Heavenly Father allows pain in our lives. Now, I shortened that up because before I shipped it over to Rob, I said, sometimes our Heavenly Father allows for and arranges for pain in our lives to draw us closer to Him. So trust His love. And I know that many, many times we say, well, God, if you loved me, you would... Give me health and wealth and happiness. But above all, God, if you loved me, you would let me have my way. And your children have said that to you, have they not? And your grandchildren have or will. And you will say, no, 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 wrong question. Because I love you, I am not going to let you have your way. Because your way will involve taking your tricycle into the street and playing chicken with the semis. You know, not a good strategy. That's judgment of children, and the Lord says that to us as well. Remember, for centuries now, Israel has been promised a Messiah. Yes, the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies. You got a Messiah coming. John the Baptist said, he's here. Messiah has come. Jesus came to earth in Israel, fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies, performed miracles that authenticated his Messiahship, and yet the Jewish people did what? Rejected him and crucified and killed him. In AD 70, Rome destroyed Jerusalem, dispersed them all the way around the world. May 14, 1948, probably the preeminent miracle of the century, probably the preeminent miracle of the last 2,000 years post resurrection, was that Almighty God put together a nation state that had been dispersed for 2,000 years. Never happened in history before, will never happen again. Israel is the only nation that's been dispersed for 2,000 years and brought back together to its own geography. It's a miracle. It's supernatural because God is not done with Israel yet. God has a plan for this nation. National Israel has a future because God has made promises to them that he has yet to fulfill. However, the modern state of Israel is still at war with God. They're not reconciled. This is going to change. God is saying, Israel's is going to confess their national sin, that the fact that they'd killed their Messiah, and the Jews are going to plead for a Messiah to return and rescue them, and God and Israel will be reconciled. And you say, the Jews have been pretty anti-Jesus, anti-Messiah for 2,000 years. What's going to prompt their repentance? What prompted yours? Zechariah 12, verse 10 profound verse, Zechariah 12, 10. And Jesus is talking, he says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. So Israel will be reconciled to God because God will give them the Holy Spirit who will convict them of sin. But that's not all. The second thing that will prompt their repentance is significant pain. Can any of you relate to significant pain? How many of you are drawn back to the Lord when you encounter significant pain? That's a call to worship. That's a call to come back, as Pastor Roger said, to your heavenly father. Jesus promised in Hosea 5, I will go away and return to my place until they, Israel, acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And this terrifies me, but it's true. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. You can put your name in there, can't you? In my affliction, I really get focused on earnestly seeking God. Jesus left, earth to co- left heaven, came to earth, and then went back to heaven. And he says, I am not coming back to earth until the Jews repent of their rejection. You understand the significance of this. The second coming depends on the repentance of Israel. Matthew 23, 39. Jesus was rejected by the nation of Israel just before he went to the cross, he said... I say to you from now on, Israel, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that is a messianic greeting. Blessed is he who comes, that's a king, right? Here's the message. Jesus will not come back to earth the second time until the Jewish people repent and ask him to come back. Wow. You understand now why Satan has always wanted to destroy the Jewish people. You understand now, if Satan can destroy the Jewish people before they repent, then Messiah will not come back. If Messiah doesn't come back, who stays free? Satan stays free. Satan wants to prevent the second coming from, of Jesus because that's when he gets imprisoned in the abyss. Have you ever asked yourself, why does anti Semitism linger? Why are half the United Nations resolutions, literally half, about A little strip of land, 200 miles long, probably 40, 50 miles wide, called Israel. Why would Israel consume so much energy of the United Nations? Why is she such a flashpoint? She doesn't even have a major harbor. Doesn't have a, a military that's threatening anybody. Doesn't have a navigable port. And yet Israel occupies so much attention. Because Satan wants to destroy Israel and he's been stirring up the nations against Israel for centuries and centuries and centuries. So God has got a plan. God's plan is I'm calling Israel's enemies led by the Antichrist into Israel because I'm going to gather them to destroy them. That's the campaign of Armageddon. I'm going to destroy Israel's enemies, but I'm also going to afflict Israel so that she'll repent. So that she'll repent. This verse causes me much pain, but it's true. God has said it. Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9. You say, well, Brad, how much pain is Israel going to have to endure before they repent and ask Messiah to come back and rescue them? Zechariah 13, 8 says, And it will come about, and all the land declares the Lord that two parts will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it, and I will bring the third part through the fire. I will refine them as silver and test them as gold. Then they will call upon my name and I will answer them and they will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is my God. The German Holocaust destroyed one in three Jews. One out of three. There were about 18 million Jews before World War II and Hitler butchered six million. God says the next Holocaust is gonna take two out of three. Two out of three. I just run out of words. I just run out of words. Israel cries out to God when they're on the brink of extinction. We're on the brink of no options, when there's literally life and death and there's no other choice. And we look at that and we go, Really? And then the Lord says, When do you cry out to me, son? When do you cry out to me, daughter? When do you get serious about coming back to me and getting your relationship right with me? Unfortunately, many, many times, it's only when what? We're in deep trouble, deep trouble. So when you look at the pain in your life, obviously we live in a broken planet, not all that pain is designed by God, even though he supernaturally allows it. God is not the author of evil. We live in a broken place, and pain comes from Satan and brokenness. But when you're in the middle of suffering, as Pastor Roger said this morning, that's not the time to run away from God. That's the time to run to God. That's the time to run to your Father. That's the time to run to him. So we have Jerusalem captured. We have the armies of Antichrist pursuing the Jews down south to Bozrah, We have the national repentance of Israel, and this all sets up the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ we talked about last week. The Jewish remnant pleads for him to return. Christ does not first come back to Jerusalem. He first comes back to Bozrah. He first comes back to Bozrah. Isaiah 34 tells us that he's going to judge all the nations, but he's going to begin his judgment in the land of Edom. Verse 6 of Isaiah 34 says, The sword of the Lord is filled with blood, for the Lord has a sacrifice in bozer and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. What he's saying is, I'm going to destroy a chunk of Antichrist's armies right there because they're surrounding the Jews in that sheepfold and they want to kill them and I'm going to defend those are mine. Isaiah 63 says, I trod down the people in my anger and made them drink of my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. He's talking about his slaughter of Israel's enemies. God is going to protect his own. But if I was a Jew at that point in time, I would wonder when. How many of you believe God has your best interests in mind, but sometimes you struggle with his timing? Like, we would like relief when? I, I thought you said yesterday. Didn't you say yesterday? <laughs> right? We saw that this morning. Pastor Roger was talking about on the storm. You know, they had been rowing for nine hours. And I'm thinking, why nine hours? Why not just rescue him as soon as the storm came up? They needed to be tired. They needed to come run out of gas before they would listen to what God had to say to them. I think the Lord, so sometimes we say, God, give me relief, but I don't want to change. I used to be a therapist way back in the day and probably two thirds of the people that came in the front door to see me in essence said, I've got a real big problem. I'm in deep pain. I want you to fix the pain, but I'm not going to change. nothing's going to change right god has a strategy behind all that and he does it here so after the battle at bozra where god saves the jews that are down there he now is going to take the battle to the valley of jezreel go to revelation 19 where i told you to go to first if you'd be so kind some of you are already there revelation 19 verse 17 God's going to give us a picture of Messiah's slaughter of his enemies as he returns to earth. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, both great and small. Flesh shows up five times. When something's repeated in Scripture, it's a pretty big deal, right? So this angel is visible and conspicuous and this angel issues a dinner invitation to who all the birds of the heaven right he's calling them to supper now last week we looked at a different kind of supper right the marriage supper of the lamb this was a celebration of the wedding the divine wedding this is a feast of a little darker kind this is a supper for birds of prey and carrion why would we need millions and millions of birds of prey and carrion because there's going to be millions and millions of dead carcasses and it's gonna create a lot of infectious disease. And God's gonna use fowls as his hazmat crew. Yeah, I didn't mean to get into this, but the common vulture is really a unique animal God designed for infection control. I don't know anybody that's got a pet vulture. I know people that have pet birds, but no pet vultures. A vulture's stomach acid is a thousand times more acidic than your stomach acid. It will dissolve metal. It's stronger than a crocodile's. It handles anthrax. It handles botulism. The, 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 the vulture can eat decaying maggot-infested flesh and doesn't even phase them. They've got stomach acids that'll dissolve that stuff like you do Snickers candy bars, right? And they love it, which is really, really good because they clean up. Now, it's interesting. You say, where are all those birds gonna come from? Did you know the nation of Israel is a major flight path for migrating birds from Africa to Europe? A massive migrating flight path. There's no food east of Israel, by the way, because it's desert, and to the left, to the west, is Mediterranean Sea. So there's a little narrow strip of land where billions of birds fly over every season. You're going to have lots and lots of birds available, and there's lots of thermal currents over that land so your raptors can fly in, and and your uh, carrion eaters can fly in and get that at that point in time. What also is interesting here is that normally men offer sacrifices to God, right? And historically animal sacrifices. People refuse to worship God, so now God's going to reverse the role and he's offering human sacrifices to animals. Isn't that interesting? You know, if you refuse to worship, God's got a strategy. It says no one's exempted says everyone's going to perish. You know, it's a great indignity to be... Um, have your body cast aside and eaten as carrion. But that's the end point of the millions and millions and millions who have refused to be reconciled to God. We are at the point where the battle of Armageddon, the campaign of Armageddon, where God's judgment is now the only option. Repentance is a day of the past. There's no more repentance. God knows no more are going to come. This is warfare, and God in his justice is going to deal with evil, and he's going to destroy it. Verse 19, we've got these millions of armies. They're assembled for the battle. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. Now, last week we talked about Christ coming on a white horse and his, his armies are his people. You and I were coming on white horses as well. But the army of the opposition has a leader called the Antichrist. And with that army are vast hordes, millions and millions of demons that Satan has also assembled in his battle against God. The Antichrist has literally been emperor of the planet for three and a half years. And everyone is trusting the miraculous powers of Antichrist to do do battle with God. But think about this. We've got millions of humans and they bring their best weapons. I don't know what weapons they'll have back then, but they're bringing their best weaponry and they're going to do battle with God. Who is spirit. And you've got your 45. How useful is that? Right? I mean, you've got your M1 Abrams. You've got your bomber. You've got your missiles. I don't know if you've got some space weaponry with you. I don't know what they're going to have but you're battling a spirit what would induce people to do something that foolish what have we said in this class for years sin makes you stupid it does when you abandon God you embrace stupidity we also know from a couple chapters ago that Satan has sent out demons after demons after demons to induce these people to come now It's my conviction that everyone is trusting the miraculous powers of the Antichrist for their mojo to win this battle. The other thing is, they don't have any choice. They've been through the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, the seven bull judgments. The planet is essentially trashed, right? It's fight or die. There's no other option at this point in time. And they have refused repentance for seven years of supernatural evangelism. We've had angels flying in mid-heaven. We've had 144,000 witnesses. We've had two supernatural witnesses. These people are hardened. They refuse to repent. At the end of the day, evil has got to be conquered if God is good. Verse 20 tells you how. The beast was seized, with him the false prophet, who performed his signs and deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. And these two were thrown alive into the lake which burns with brimstone. Now, if you're in a battle, the first thing you do is take out the leadership, right? So God immediately takes out the Antichrist and the false prophet. And they are unique in that they are transported directly from the battlefield in their physical bodies and thrown into the lake of fire. Alive. They're unique in that they didn't die first. They didn't pass through death. God picked them up, threw them into the lake of fire, they cast them alive. Obviously, their human bodies would burn pretty quick there, right? But their spirits live forever. Next week or maybe the week after, we're going to spend a fair amount of time on the... um, um, not just the millennium, but essentially the nature of the Lake of Fire. And for a thousand years during the millennium, these two are the only two occupants of this lake. There's only two people in it, and it's these two. There's going to be a lot more there, but the Lake of Fire is a place of eternal burning where everything is burning, but nothing ever gets burned up. Remember... um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. What was the chief complaint? It's always snowing and it's never Christmas, right? You get lots of snow, but you never get the culmination of the snow, which is the good stuff, which is Christmas. Here, everything burns all the time, but nothing ever gets consumed forever. I can't wrap my mind around that, but this is God, and so we know it's going to happen. Verse 21. We know where the beasts are. We know where the Antichrist is. The rest of these armies were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So all these millions and millions and millions of people who have reputedly and repeatedly refused to repent are killed instantly. Henry Morris writes, like grapes trampled in a wine press, the blood bursts from their veins, and death is instantaneous, and soon the great trough is flowing with blood. Revelation 14 tells us the battlefield stretches 200 miles long, all the way from the Red Sea all the way to the Valley of Jezreel. 200 miles. It's a a catastrophic end to human rebellion. You must understand that Holy God is never going to make peace with evil, He's never going to make peace with sin. And we talked last week about for good to triumph, evil must be destroyed. You cannot compromise with that. God in his infinite mercy has to destroy evil because he's a good God and he knows what evil does to his children. The very last thing that God's going to do, Jesus is going to do, he's going to send the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 12, after the Lord fights those nations, it says his feet in that day are going to stand on the top of the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives is going to be split from east to west. So after this victory, Christ will go to the Mount of Olives, stand on the Mount of Olives, and of course he's going to spare the the, the city of Jerusalem because that's his capital city. This, This period of time where Jesus Christ stands on the Mount of Olives is when the seventh bowl judgment is laid out. Remember we talked about the very last plague that came from the seventh bowl judgment was a great earthquake? An earthquake so great that it's never been recorded in human history before? It says this earthquake is so great that the islands fled away, disappeared, and you couldn't find any mountain ranges. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about that this earthquake is going to be so vast that God's going to re-landscape the entire planet to what it was during the Garden of Eden. When we talk about an earthquake that size, it says no human cities will stand and you won't be able to find a mountain range. That's a big earthquake. That occurs at this period of time. So you understand that God is going to do away with evil. One of the things that has struck me about Revelation over and over and over again is how comfortable our culture is with wickedness and how much God hates it. So when you look at the judgments that show up here, the seals and the bowls and the trumpets, and then you see these earthquakes and you say, God really can't stand sin. He, that's right, he really can't stand it. Which means he can't stand it in me either. Then you understand how precious the cross is. And how, what price Jesus Christ paid that we could have a relationship with God. Because the Bible is just a, really a love story it's about god wanting a relationship with humans and we telling god to go pound sand over and over and over and over we're saying i will not submit jesus christ came he laid down his life he shed his blood so we could have a relationship because god can't look at sin he hates it but he loves you here's the problem sometimes you and your sin are pretty connected right i mean you're pretty connected so the sin has to be forgiven But it can't be forgiven based on your works. You don't have it. That's why the cross is so precious. And that's why our self-righteousness, we come to God and we go, I'm good enough. God says, my standard is perfection. You know you're not good enough. That's why we come to the cross with such gratitude when we see how much God hates sin and how much he loves us. All right. I've talked really fast because we had about 45 minutes to get through an hour, but let me give you the review. Here's the key idea. King Jesus has a perfect plan for redeeming his people and repossessing his planet. So trust your king. Number two, God's loving plan for you will involve struggle and conflict. So trust his wisdom. Number three, when God closes a door, he opens a window. But you probably won't see it. So trust his leading. Lastly, sometimes our heavenly father allows pain in our lives to draw us closer to him so trust his love does that make sense amen Amen. okay now that you know do do. next week we're going to be in one of the most unique chapters in scripture revelation 20 is the only place that really discusses the length of the the messianic reign a thousand years millennium is what we'll look at next week lord willing so Put your pants on and your boots on and be ready to run fast.